Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your hosts, Rob Clark, and with us as always, Mr. Ed Katz. Ed, how you doing? Recovering. Can I whine for just a moment? I think you should. I mean, we both can do a little whining, I guess, but you go first. Well, here in Mississippi, we were without power for almost three full days, and I was so happy that I had a generator that I purchased right before the storm. But little did I know, it took a half a day to get it working with 200 linear feet of extension cords and plugging in a recessed refrigerator and plugging in a recessed freezer. And I'm whining, I know, and it was just terrible. And then it took me like a day to put everything away and all the lanterns and all the candles. And I got to know my wife really well during the last week. Let me tell you, (laughs) she's lucky she's married to me because I was perfect but I won't say anything else. Well, you know, listeners are going to hear me say this and maybe a little, maybe not a little surprised because of the storm that everybody knows kind of the impact that storm had, but you had a car that got stuck and couldn't, you tow truck couldn't even get it out until the ice melted. That's how bad it was in Mississippi. Did you get the, uh, the car out? Everything's good to go. My friend had one of those big tire four by four, whatever you call them, SUVs and he had a winch on the front and he pulled me out and rescued me but that was at the very tail end of the of the storm so it it was challenging I'll tell you yeah and same here you know and we were without power like you we were 52 total hours we didn't uh quite hit three days of 72 but 52 but it was during the coldest uh part of that storm coming through I mean we were in single digits and in my house 38 degrees it registered inside and, and sleeping at night with uh seven eight blankets and sleeping bags unzipped and put over the beds for the kids and us i mean it was my wife decided ed she does not like to camp <laughs> that was her version of camping she said it's a no-go i don't like it yeah you're right this was the closest thing to camping i felt yeah. like i was back at camp overnight sleepaway camp where i was a counselor and i hated sleeping out in the woods and that's what this was like you're right you're yeah. right yeah other than having to worry about you know pipes in the house and things like that if you had to pick to have power outage during the heat of the summer or during a cold front not not having to worry about pipes going out i would pick the cold every time man i i, I still could get under the covers and get warm at night uh, I agree. You know, in the summertime, boy, it's just so uncomfortable when we have a hurricane and lose power for a period of time. It's just unbearable. I agree. I agree. Well, let's let's jump in and talk a little bit about the uh, the commercial relocation sandbox that we always discuss on this podcast. And uh, I think today's topic is one that uh, a lot of moving companies kind of may miss the mark a little bit. And the topic for today's podcast is the advantages of partnering with your service providers. And Ed, my first question to you is since we are, you know, we move companies for a living and I get to see a lot of companies that treat their, how they treat their vendors, you know, and how they treat their service providers. Ed, how do you feel about companies that, you know, they look at the service providers and they, they just kind of, they don't treat them very well. They don't really treat them as a valuable asset to the success of their company. I mean, what do you, how do you feel about this? Well, I can tell you this based on my business experience and remember I'm old, everybody. So I have many, many years of business experience. I believe that you treat your service providers like they're nothing more than a generic commodity. You're probably going to get very average or very mediocre service from them in return. And uh, what I also learned, though, that's only half 
of the equation. If I can digress for a second and give you a war story that had to happen to me two or three years ago. I have several rental homes in uh, a suburb of Atlanta, and I am very loyal to my service providers, to my vendors, and I really I treat them like customers. And so I thought just by treating them well, I would get great service. Well, about three years ago, we had a power outage that affected several of my homes, and I called up my my, my, electric comp, my electric service provider, the electrician, and I said, hey, I really need your help. We have no power in two houses. And uh, well, how soon can you come out and service me? And they said, well, we can't even put you on a, a wait list for two weeks. I said, hey, this is, this is Ed Katz. You know, I have several homes that you service and I've been a loyal customer and I pay you in a timely manner. Well, they said, we also service several large apartment complexes and we have to put our big customers before you. Ouch, that hurt. So needless to say, uh, I did have to wait. And by the way, some pipes broke because I, even though I you know, did the best I could to try to get some warmth in there, it didn't, it didn't work. And we had frozen pipes and we had a problem. So the, I learned that's only half of the equation uh, for getting good service. So yeah, treat them well, don't treat them like a generic commodity, but you have to go further than that too. Yeah. You want to know the other half of the equation? Absolutely. We do we need it to add up. <laughs> you need to really define your needs to your service providers, to your vendors. For example, you know, we are an office mover when I had my moving company and we'd be out late at night, late at night, 11, 1130, 12 o'clock at night, Monday through Friday, doing office moves. And we once had a truck loaded with furniture and it was an hour away from base. It was Friday night and got a flat tire. And if you just randomly call tire companies, nobody's gonna come out and service you. So my point here is this, not only do you have to treat your service providers well, you need to communicate what your needs are and give them hypothetical examples like, hey, if we have a flat tire and we need a new tire or have to have a flat repaired uh, in the middle of the night during the week or on a weekend, will you be on call for us? And most of the tire companies we called said, we're sorry, but I found two tire companies that would be responsive in times of need. And guess what? Their tires were not the cheapest, but they serviced me to death because my service as an office mover that worked nights and weekends and holidays, in addition to during the day, during the week, I would not be able to render the service, the quality service that our customers demanded if I didn't have great service providers that could helped me out when I was in need. So the, the two parts of my equation with bringing the best out in your service providers are number one, treat them well. Number two, make sure they can service your needs and give them worst case scenarios. And that's what I finally learned the hard way. And by the way, we, we have an electrician now for my houses in, uh, in Atlanta that will service me nights and weekends and holidays, thank goodness. And again, they're not the cheapest, but they 
and 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 I have a great relationship. It's it's symbiotic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you, Ed, I take it. Uh, I look at it exactly how you describe, but I, I kind of take it one step further. You know, we always talk about the clients that we have um, that we want to partner with them. We just don't want to be a vendor for them, right? We want to partner with them and have a relationship that they can count on us. There's this trust. There's this, you know, this relationship that means something. And with our vendors, we look at it the same way. I mean, our vendors are very important to the success of our company. Now, my point, you tell me if you disagree with this, vendors aren't just sitting around waiting for us to give them business. They take what we can give them. They want to work with us, but they're also out one looking for their own business to do as a company, as an, uh, you know, their own private entity. And they also sometimes work for other moving companies and other companies that might provide similar services to us. So my point in saying that is there are times we have found that those vendors, if you treat them well, you have a relationship with them, you respect them, when they have an opportunity to do a furniture, whether it's installers doing something related to furniture, and in this company, they're the first ones in, and they need to also have a relocation provided, I want my partners, my vendors, to recommend me and not my competitors for that business. You know, So I think that's a very important part of it as well. In other words, I not only recommend you, but maybe they may be privy to some other deals floating around that Absolutely. they are either directly or in or indirectly involved in. Maybe they didn't get the job, but they also knew of somebody else that was moving. And because of the symbiotic relationship you have with your service provider, uh, especially at CDM 360, you, you offer so many more relocation project management type services way more than I did when I had Peachtree Movers that, you know, maybe they can from time to time say, hey, you might want to give so-and-so a call. I know they're moving. So you're talking about that type of relationship too. That, Absolutely. Correct? Absolutely. And uh, to me, that's important. Uh, you know, any, anybody who can be a source to help us get our feet in the doors to have an opportunity to earn some business, we want to, we want to nurture those relationships. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, so agree. are you saying then, Ed, you know, just by simply treating our vendors well, uh, we should be able to expect great service from them in return? Yeah. And then again, that's only half of the equation. You've got to clearly define the scope of services, what your needs might be. And I always negative sold it. I said, hey, it's not uncommon for us, you know, really late at night to have a problem, a mechanical problem for, a, a, you know, uh, UPS truck rental, for example, used to service our trucks, even though we didn't buy or lease our trucks from uh, UPS. Uh, they were our facility we used for servicing them. And believe it or not, they ran a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week uh, operation in Atlanta. And if I had uh, a mechanical breakdown somewhere, I could call them. And did they charge me extra for the service call the time of day and a day of the week? Yes. But, you know, putting it into perspective, I knew I could depend on them. And again, what I, what I learned when I had my moving company, which I should have applied with my real estate, which I didn't, but anyhow, um, you've got to clearly define, and I like the negative sell, how my, what my needs are, meaning make them sound worse than they are. So <laughs> their realization is not as bad or as great as, the, as I, they anticipated. Ed, tell me, when you had Peachtree, 
you know, in our world today, we don't have installers that work directly for us. Um, furniture is the most common one we see in commercial relocations. You know, furniture needs to be, whether it's hutches and returns or it's actually systems furniture, whatever, whatever it might be. Did you have uh, installers that worked for you or did you have to use a vendor for those services when they were needed? I know your, your IOMI seminar teaches us how to count and inventory and move systems furniture, did you have installers that would disassemble and reassemble those? Well, you just opened Pandora's box. Uh -oh. This is going to be a long-winded answer, but okay. I'm going to answer it the long way because I hope that our listeners don't follow my mistake that I made. So I'm growing my moving company, and I keep thinking it'd be so much more efficient to have my own installation division within my office moving furniture division. And it was so that we don't have anybody standing around with their hands in their pocket. The same company that disassembles could then move it. And then the same company that moved it could reconfigure, right? Sounded really great. So I ended up having, believe it or not, 16 installers that could do any brand of modular furniture to disassemble and reconfigure. I mean, we were, you know, we could do it. And they had the experience. And that was the first time in my life that we started dealing in drugs and we started stealing. What am I talking about? Am I, what am I saying here? I'm being honest. <laughs> this is back in though around 1995 for the first time we had a major theft. And for the first time I'm finding out that somebody's selling marijuana out of the trunk of their car in our parking lot. I'm thinking, what is going on here? And then I found out the rest of the story. And I hope our listeners really take this in. I want you to think about something. Let's say I'm really a great installation person. I really can do any brand. I have great attendance. I'm drug free. I have great references. Who do you think I'm gonna to wanna to work for? A moving company or a furniture dealership or a modular furniture company that, that you know does the installs and and reconfigurations. Think about it. Who pays the most money? Dealers, furniture dealers. Who has the best benefits? Furniture dealerships. And so I found through that terrible school of hard knocks that the best installers worked for the dealers. The next best type of company that they worked for was not a moving company because if they're in, in a moving company, they don't get to do what they love best, disassemble and reconfigure furniture. What else do they have to do? They have to be part of the team and move furniture. Well, they look down their noses, a lot of them, at the movement of furniture. It is what it is. It's a different skill set. So the ones that can't get a job working for a dealership are going to work for companies that do nothing but installation do you agree with it so far there oh I abs absolutely agree with you and then we have the ones that we hired the ones that couldn't get hired at a dealership maybe they had poor attendance maybe they had some other type of baggage that i um referenced earlier when i started down this road and so and they couldn't get a job working for an installation company again for the same reason so by default they have one option work for a moving company. And that's who we hired. And let me tell you something over that nine or 10 month period, I was 
a fireman. I couldn't believe what was going on. And then we had a situation once when we were doing a, a shuttle, van rotation shuttle, and it was on a Friday evening and we were at capacity and we were short some movers and we had the installation crew had already disassembled a product and we're waiting to, waiting to install it at the destination. And we're there down at the loading area, receiving area at the destination. And my supervisor needed help. And he says to the installation crew, hey, we need you to help us unload the trucks. And their response was, hey, we're installers. We're not touching the furniture. Now, that was not the team approach. That was not being altruistic, doing what's best for the group at the expense of the individual. That was not our approach. So that's what I experienced when I tried to do it in-house. So at the end of that terrible ordeal, <laughs> I ended up firing all of them every one of them, but we had some of our movers who did learn the basics of disassembly and reassembly. And to this day, we have some of the, and this is my former company I'm talking about, this is 20 years after I sold it, but they still have some of the employees who were movers who could also do basic disassembly and reassembly, but not to the skill level or the volume or the quantity that we could when we had 14 installers. So in, in terms of answering your question, I strongly urge <laughs> moving companies not to diversify into their own in-house installation division. And for the reasons I just cited. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And that's how it is, not only for us, but what we see in our market here in Houston. Uh, most companies use these installation groups or installers from particular dealers, depending on who they're working with. But you're exactly right. I, I want to kind of get off, I'm kind of getting off topic just a little bit. Uh, it's related to the, the topic of this podcast, but kind of steering off the, the conversation we're having right now. I know that you've attended and, and you were, I think, the valedictorian of the School of Hard, hard Knocks. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not bragging. I am confessing. And I think the campus that you attended was Rockwell, if I remember correctly. So I'm assuming there might be something related to vendors, how you treat them from class time at Rockwell. Is there something that would come from that, that lesson? Well, Rockwell at one time was our, they were, this is where they manufactured, actually really manufactured the Hellfire missile. And it was in a suburb of Atlanta. And they gave us literally over the years, millions of dollars worth of business. And the only thing that really caused us problems the only thing was sometimes at the last moment when we were book solid they call us at four o'clock in the afternoon and say hey we have an emergency move can you come tomorrow now this is a company that never bid out their jobs we got all their moves and wasn't even an annual contract they just awarded it, them all to us and we were the only bidder and so we wanted to make the sun rise and set over Rockwell. But, you know, what do you do when your book's solid? Ed Katz had to take off his tie and suit up and go out on a, a job the next day that was the, the, the kind of like the weakest link that needed the lowest skill to help run a job where we needed a supervisor. And it was really becoming disruptive to our schedule. So I was trying to put my service provider hat on, my vendor hat on, and not alienate our most valuable client at the time. 
but at the same time bring some sense of order from the chaos that they were causing to our operation. So I'll tell you, Rockwell, God bless them. They wouldn't let us take them to lunch. We we signed our lives away, never to offer anything that hinted of a bribe. So I couldn't do it over lunch, right? But anyhow, I met with my contact. There were like two contacts. I'll mention their names. Great, great people. Ed Woods and Jim Pelger. Jim Pelger and I, we, we Facebook together. We link in together. We email each other. He lives in St. Louis, Missouri now. And I'm here in Madison, Mississippi. How do you like that? That's 20, 20 years, 25 years later. And we still have a relationship. But anyhow, I said, look, I said, let me be honest with you two, two guys. Anything we can do to service you, we want to do it. But here's how we do our scheduling. We don't have 50 guys that are trained, professional, experienced movers always sitting in the warehouse so that when you call, we just dispatch them. We book several days in advance. So can you help us out? Is there any way you can give us any more visibility when you call to schedule a move? I'm talking about the ones that are the last moment. And here's what they said. They can't help it because they report to department managers, different departments within Rockwell. And if the department head calls and said, hey, we need a mover out here tomorrow, they have to jump. That's their job to service they call them their clients. They were their own employees. And I said, is there a possibility you could meet with these department heads or somehow communicate to them that we'll try to give them the perfect crews each time to service their needs, whether it's a, you know, a library move, it's a laboratory move, it's an office move, whatever it is. If it's hauling trash to the dump, we have different crews with different skills and interests that can meet their needs, but they've got to give us advance notice. Well, they didn't say, sure, yeah, we'll do that. They said, well, let's try and we'll we'll try it with one or two department heads and see how they react because they're on eggshells. They're walking on eggshells. They got to keep their jobs, right? They're, they're in a support function for the departments and their employees and their department heads. Anyhow, about a week later, they said, we explained it to them. They get it. They understand that only in case of an emergency are they going to wait until the last moment. They said, we didn't realize. How do you like that? We did not realize that we needed to schedule in advance. We thought that the moving industry, the moving companies were never booked. I said, yeah, that's right. If, if all they do is pick up temporary labor off the street or from a labor pool, put a uniform on them and send them out. They never are at capacity. But as you know, we send out trained professional experience movers, a differentiator, right? And we had a life after that. And we did that with a lot of our clients, especially our newer, bigger clients. And we said the same thing to them. We need as much advance notice as possible. And everybody has emergencies. We get it. We understand. And we'll scramble and do whatever we can to help. Even if, even if we have to suit up the worst supervisor we have, and that would be Ed Katz. You'll you'll get service somehow, some way. And they got it. We worked with them that way. It was and, a partnership. And Eddie, we had a very similar, uh, a client with a very similar situation. And what, what I ended up doing with them was very similar to you. But I said, look, seems like you have once or twice during the week, moves pop up where you need things done. Um, and so I finally got them to agree to, every Thursday would be move day. 
and all departments would get notification that if you needed any relocation services, anything needed, it had to be turned in by Monday. And then that, mo- that Monday request for all work would then be done on Thursday. That gave us time to understand the scope we were working within, get the crews, make sure we had equipment, all of those things in the schedule. And, and if you got to Monday and you said nothing was scheduled for this week, then we had time to, to book other business. So it really worked out well. I think that's very, very important. You know, you asked me that first question about, you know, how to treat service providers and all that. We are service providers. You know, we're on both sides of that fence when you're a moving company. And I don't know if I ever told you this, Rob, but we got, um, initially, we got an opportunity to have a lot of weekly moves with a large insurance company in Atlanta. We were so excited because they had, if not every week, at least every other week, internal moving going on. They had several floors in a high-rise building, and I was so excited. And we did two or three moves for them, and we invoiced them. And something happened that had never happened to us in our history, and that was they didn't pay the full amount of the bills. Like, Nobody said anything, but when they paid, they shorted us. Um, they just, it's like somebody arbitrarily just took money off the invoice. So we called them, of course. I called them, hey, is there something going on with your accounting department or bookkeeping? Or No, but we have to deduct from your bill the time your guys are standing around not working. I said, excuse me? And they repeated that. Yeah, when you guys come on, if you're not working, we're taking that off the bill. I said, well, you have to understand, we're not on an assembly line in a factory with the time clock. Although we sent time clocks out on the job, the clock in and clock out, we're not like a manufacturing operation. There'll be times when we, maybe we can't find our contact or maybe we move something and he's on the other side of the floor or on another floor or whatever. Well, that's how we do business. And if you don't like it, then we'll find another mover. I said, I really appreciate your candor and your honesty. And we it's been a privilege trying to service your needs. But I can tell from this conversation, we don't qualify to do your moves. And that was that. And um, we unfortunately did not collect the little bit of chump change that they had deducted. I mean, it's just time to move on, you know, but at least we found out, we found out early on. And I'll tell you this about Ted Turner. We did several moves for them and they were a great client. The people that we moved were very nice and, but they wouldn't pay for 120 days. And I thought, wait a second. And that's because they were Turner Broadcasting. That's Ted Turner. And he was still there. He, you know, local native Atlantan. I mean, just great guy. But for whatever reason, because they were Turner, they didn't pay any of their service providers for 120 days. And, you know, I told you this before, we had a huge line of credit (laughs) to fund our receivables. Well, this aggravated it. So, I would keep calling Turner and saying, please pay the invoice and all that. 
till finally, and I got no response. I mean, they, this is how we pace. So finally, I tried an end run. I called at 6.30 at night. They closed at 5. I called at 6.30 at night. Somehow, I actually reached the controller. And the guy was like not happy that Ed Katz, peach tree movers, disturbed his turf. Who is this? I said, uh, Ed Katz, peach tree movers. What do you want? It's after hours. And, you know, I had the guy's name and I think they had a directory where you could somehow punch in the, I don't know how, somehow I got to his desk, to his phone. <laughs> so you know what I said to him? Because he had really copped an attitude that I, you know, you know, invaded his space asking for the money that we, he owed us from four months ago, right? And I said, I'll make you a deal. I promise you, if you'll pay these past due invoices, I promise you, we'll never move you again. How's that sound? What? Let me repeat it. I promise you, sir, if you pay us the money you owe us for these past invoices, I promise we'll never move you again. Well, we don't want to do business with someone like you anyhow. Blah, 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 blah. That works for me. I was not, I didn't want to be their banker. I just, I couldn't operate like that. And again, we were just another number to them. And if we didn't like it, we could take a hike. That's, that's, that's why this is, you think they brought the best out of us. Do you think that a, a company that takes money off the invoice because we were quote unquote standing around and not working hundred percent of the time or somebody who doesn't pay us for four months. Do you think that makes us or the leader, Ed Katz of the company want to roll up my sleeves and do the best I possibly can. You see the two sides of this coin, Rob? No, absolutely. It gets right back to how you treat your vendors. It's about how we treat them and then how our clients treat us because we're their vendor. I think it makes perfect sense, Ed. And, and it's back to what I said earlier. You know, you want it to be a, a partnership. It's just not that we're just worker bees for, for these clients. We really want them to value what we provide to them. And I, honestly, Ed, I, I think most do. I mean, I, I really find that uh, most of our major clients, we have great relationships with, and they know the level of service we provide them. And they work very well with us when we have those times where it's uh, uh, a little difficult to get somebody out, you know, within a couple of hours, maybe it's going to be the next morning or something like that. You know, most of our clients are very understanding and, and know that they're not our only client, even though we want to treat them like they are, they're not our only client. We couldn't survive if they were. I agree. I agree. Well, fun conversation. Well, I could wrap this up if you like me. I, I would. I, I would ask you. Yeah, to wrap it up. Let me let me summarize my suggestion and how to treat service providers, vendors to bring the best out in them, so that we, especially when you really really need them, they'll be there for you. First of all pay them immediately. I do all my, I have the, you know, plumbers, electricians, painters, people who clean houses for all my rental properties now. And believe me, the day they invoice me, a check is in the mail by the next day. And I don't, you know, they, I don't worry about, is it the lowest price? They treat me fairly. I get great service and I pay them immediately. They don't have to call me and call me and call me and say, Hey, where's the check? Secondly, again, with my baptism by fire with that electrician that dropped the ball and because I was too small for his 
service that they rendered in in Atlanta with these, you know, when during the ice storm and everybody lost power, clearly defined to your service provider and vendor what your needs are. And I suggest when you do negative sell it, make it sound worse than it really is. And thirdly, even when the electrician was rude to me, even when they said, no, we're going to have to service our big, big apartment complexes first. I never raised my voice. I never yelled and I never cursed. That's, you know, that's called respect. And that's, we never, ever yelled at him ever, never threatened him. And related to that, we treated them with, with respect and integrity. That's, that's what we did. And whenever they did a job for us, I'm telling you, I always thank them how much I appreciate what you did for me. Thank you so much. I, <laughs> I had my HVAC guy go out to one of my rental houses yesterday and he got there because there was a noise in the system and he went into the attic and he went into where the filter was and he said the filter was apparently put in backwards or whatever. And it was vibrating and caused the noise. He said, I'm not gonna charge you. You know what I said? I'm going to pay you anyhow. You made a service call and that's not your fault. Your time is worth money. He's, he didn't say, don't send the money. We're not going to send him $75 because he invested his time. I don't want anybody that ever think I'm taking advantage of them. And last but not least, give service providers realistic deadlines I mean, even with this electrician that dropped me like a hot potato because of her, the, had she said, I'll put you on the list, you know, we'll try to work you in. We'll try. She didn't say that. She said what I told you. And that's wrong. That, that just said to me, boy, you sure don't appreciate my business. I need to go where I am appreciated. So I, I feel in my heart that these are, you know, this is part of developing good business relationships so you can render a great service because your service quality is in part contingent upon, dependent upon how well your service providers service you. Absolutely agree. Way, way to sum it up. I think that's outstanding uh, to finish the show. Oh, you're wonderful, Rob Clark. Thank you. <laughs> Ed, as always, this has been a lot of fun. Enjoyed the conversation. Listeners, I hope you guys got a little something out of that as well. Uh, thank you all for joining this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move. Any last words, Ed? Would you believe I don't have a word to say? Is that Shocking. anybody who knows me? <laughs> they don't believe me. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. <laughs>